You're listening to 1001 Album Club, where each episode we discuss a different album from Robert Demery's book, 1001 Albums You Must Hear Before You Die. This episode will be talking about Joy Division, Unknown Pleasures. On the line I have Rob. Hello. Ben. Hello. Sean. Hi. And Kyle. Radio. Unknown Pleasures <laughs> is the debut studio album by English rock band Joy Division, released on the 15th of June, 1979 by Factory Records. The producer was Martin Hannett, and the genre is post-punk. And I'm going to read from the book, Chris Shade. Following their appearance on the 1978 noted factory sample EP financed by local television personality Tony Wilson, Joy Division opted to release their landmark debut album on Tiny Independent Factory 2, despite interest from major labels. Recorded in a week at Stockport's Strawberry Studios, Sonic Visionary Hannett took the sheet metal guitar of Bernard Dickin, a.k.a. Uh, Sumner, Peter Hook's unique bass melodies and Stephen Morris's innovative combination of acoustic and electric drums and created a muted, unnerving ambience through pioneering use of digital effects, muffled screams, and crashing glass. Lyricist Ian Curtis documents his experience as an epileptic in a mutant disco of She's Lost Control, whilst the sodium-lit shadow play conjures imageries of urban decay and paranoia of late 70s Manchester. The sparseness of the music perfectly complements his cold baritone, particularly on the majestic death anthem New Dawn Fades and the haunting I Remember Nothing, while the energetic inner zone and disorder reminded listeners of the band's fierce live reputation. In the immediate post-punk period of busy design and primary colors the stark textured black sleeve featuring the radio waves emitted from a dying star was as groundbreaking as the music contained within and ushered in a minimalist design revolution unknown pleasures was a commercial and critical success though one journalist paid the backhanded compliment of describing the record as perfect listening prior to committing suicide 25 years later unknown pleasures is still compelling listening all right what do we think of joy divisions unknown pleasures compelling listening it was compelling i was compelled this is the first time that i've given this full album uh the time cool wow Same. what did you think mm-hmm. of joy division really into it sweet believe the hype yeah i was gonna Rob, say what about you this is a myth in the making i'm not sold okay oh, not, really not completely yeah. no. um, hey, it's all right it's spooky kid music. Yeah. It, it makes me want to smoke cigarettes in a graveyard. Yeah, a l- little bit. And it's it's good. It's it's well done. I I'm not a, I'm not completely in love with goth like as a uh, 
just a, as a genre stuff, but you know, I, I can see, I know where it comes from now. So that's good. Like the only song that I knew joy division wise was, uh, uh, that she's lost control again song. Um, I don't know. This is, this is really bad. You know, level, level tear us apart. Right. Yeah. That's a later song though. That's not on this record. No, yeah. about like yeah. a week later. I've just had this long held assumption that all men know, a lot about Joy Division and will tell you all about it um, whether all or not you men? ask. All men. Yeah. Oh, yeah. There's no not all men here. All men. I think there is. No. I think if you would like men, and asked every men man want you to know about Joy Division. <laughs> I mean, this, okay, look, I've had I've had a lot of men try to tell me about Joy Division. I'm, I'm wounded from it. I'm sorry. I, I'm sorry that happened to you. <laughs> are they music aficionados? I think if you ask most men if they are, they'll tell you yes. Okay. Uh, but every man becomes a music aficionado when they're talking to a woman. That's true. <laughs> and boy, is that weird for me. <laughs> <laughs> it would, I guess, make sense because I, I was thinking about this album this this week, just listening to it again and again, and it's like a myth. Like this is, this is one of the biggest myth-making bands. Beatles, Doors. I mean, Joy Division is up there in the way that it's presented as. Uh, I, I think it's a kind of a disservice to the band because it overshadows the actual music of the album with Ian Curtis's death, with the sort of how it was recorded. It's low budget. Um, you know, there's all sorts of stories that go into it, but it, the revolutionary gothness of the band, I think, should kind of stand on its own without all the different stories and, and things that come into into it. And so I can understand people being excited to explain all the different elements of Joy Division, Ian Curtis and whatever. But I mean, really, it, it's good music, in my opinion. Oh, I was just going to say that, like, you know, I think what we've been listening to lately, a lot of stuff, there's a lot of content about depression and sadness and loneliness and isolation. And, you know, those are themes that became commonplace in music after this, but before this, nobody was making music this miserable, you know, like this came from a really real place. I mean, as evidenced by the fact that Ian Curtis killed himself before the next record even came out. But I mean, you know, this has been like parroted so many times and like, you know, to varying degrees of, authenticity but i think that this really kicked off this like kind of i don't want to use the term safe space but this like kind of being like yeah we can go this dark you know and a, a label put it out like if you have this to say you should say it and they really did it it's like this record is so dark and it's so sparse and it really does um do what i think it sets out to do which is a real feat i think mm-hmm. i read the multiple band members weren't very happy with the, with uh, <clears throat> Martin Hannett's production. Yeah. That Martin Hannett, they, they kind of, it seems almost like he had his own vision for what joy division should sound like. That was maybe different from some of the band members and uh, kind of went with it and for better or for worse. Uh, for, be- for better, in my opinion. Yeah, yeah, for for better in my opinion too. And man, I forget which uh, band member it was. Maybe Bernard Summer or Sumner was talking about 
how it's okay for the representation of a recorded product of the band to be different from the like the 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 live aspect of that band like it's okay to go see joy division and they're they're louder and faster and more upfront and then to have the the recorded version of that same material be like a, a different representation like to, to have these two sides uh it was not necessarily a bad thing and uh you know obviously i've never seen joy division live i looked up a few videos today uh it, it was cool uh definitely more punk uh faster more more up front but the atmosphere and the space in this recording i think is not to not to downsell the music and not to downsell ian curtis's performance but the the production i think definitely you should doff your doff your hat to the production of this record for its legendary status. Well, also, it's fantastic. Oh, sorry, <laughs> but the song was in Toronto, Canada, I think, mm-hmm. right? And like mm-hmm. the um, like the reggae influence on there is so incredible because nobody ever thinks about reggae and Joy Division, or at least people our generation don't. But um, you're talking like like it's dub got, production. Yes, yeah. yeah, and like you can really hear how like reggae music influenced British punk at that time. And it's surprising to see it show up in the short division when, you know, they're not the clash. Like it's, I don't know. Mm-hmm. I, I think there are a lot of surprises on this record and a lot of like really vast influences that they turned into something totally new. Yeah. Yeah. I think yeah. that's right. Yeah. And what you're saying before Ben, you're right. Look up a video. You'll see these songs are played twice, three times as fast. I mean, it's it's a stark, stark difference from the live to the recorded. Now, I always find that really interesting. I either want a band to perfectly play, uh, you know, on a, you know, spot on exactly how the album sounds, or I want it to be a completely different experience. I don't want this a half of the, mm-hmm. you know, someone sounding like they're covering the album. You need to... Like a, like a dilution of the product. Yeah, you want you want yeah. the isolation. You want the uh, interesting drum, droning effect that this album plays with. And I think that is a big part of um, Hammond's production. And he kind of molded them into that. I, I think that's important that he did that because I don't think they would have wanted that it that way i mean they said as much and for that to happen it it you're right sean it, it just provided this sort of drone the the sparseness the slowness that happens in a, in an album like this it's not i was gonna say i mean for as much as people say joy division is you know kind of like an upbeat because the drums have a bit of a hi-hat um you know 16th notes on the hi-hat sometime it's it's a very just sparse droning album. Oh, one more thing. I was going to say, it's very strange if you're watching live video. It feels, I don't know how they do it, but this band always feels like the four people are four completely like in different rooms when you watch mm-hmm. them together. They do not look like a te- a band that's playing together. In some Mm-mm. In some way, the... The guitar and the drum, everything is stands out completely on this album. And when they play live, it's like that. That kind of blows my mind a lot of the time. Speaking to the production of this record, which I think is really cool. Um, you know, I was reading about. I'm, I'm sure you guys did too about 
how the producer kind of got a lot of these sounds like spraying air dusters into the microphone and <laughs> for percussion or even the studio's toilet like um but before i had this album i, I remember buying a cd in like 2000 and it was a live joy division record um but it was pretty early and like I remember it was in the it was in the liner notes too. I I, I couldn't remember the name of the, the CD or the show, but it was them playing a show. It was officially released, but like uh, as the the show went on, like all of their instruments broke down, like everything broke. You know, like all their amps broke, and then like the drums broke, and then the microphone broke. And it was just that was kind of like the first time I listened to this band a lot. So that's kind of how I got to know these songs. So like I remember listening to this actual album and hearing it produced and being like, Oh, I, I, I get why this band's, you know, <laughs> but <laughs> I don't have, have you guys heard the CD where they're playing this horrible show. No, like, no. Oh, it's amazing. <laughs> um, it's incredible. Yeah. I, I love this record. The first time I ever got a, a flip phone and you could uh, purchase like a ringtone, it was level tear us apart. But it it wasn't like an actual audio clip. It was like, <laughs> and I remember this one. You heard it go off one time, and he wanted to punch me in the mouth so bad. <laughs> was it me? <laughs> in the eye and like, I'm like, and she gave away the secrets of her past and said I must control again. And the voice that told her when and where to act, she said I must control again. Sumner and Hook got the idea to start this band after seeing the Sex Pistols in Manchester in 1976. Well, that's that show from the 24-Hour Party People that we keep on coming back to. It's that same show that launched the Buzzcocks and and Magazine or something, too. Mm -hmm. And the Damned. And the Damned, yeah. Um, Speaking of influences, do you guys feel like, like, I mean, I personally felt like there were a couple songs in this that really were influential to, like, darker metal bands. Um, like New Dawn Fades and Shadow Play were the two that I thought of, but like I could definitely see those being like the root of some metal songs. Dude, Sean, I was getting, I, I wrote down in my notes on New Dawn Fades, at least for the intro, very Sabbathy. Yes. Yeah. I, I, I get, I get heckin' Sabbath vibes from the, mm-hmm. the, the opening to New Dawn Fades, which I believe mm-hmm. we're about to listen to in our headphones. Yeah. I had read right. that, that that was an influence for the band. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, which is like, also crazy if you think about like that they distilled so many like disparate influences and created this which turned into an influence all on its own it's it's just like a nice kind of like a uh, tree of how rock and roll works i guess yeah also yeah. the krautrock german influences of uh you know can and and all those bands sort of meld into into this as well so i i, I I'm surprised how much of that music uh craftwork found its way into the the new wave um Engl- English scene at the same time you know punk punk rock was happening with loud guitars and things like that. 
Kraftwerk was one of Ian Curtis's favorite bands, yeah. if memory serves. What, yeah. Wasn't that what was on the record player? Wasn't Transzero Express on the record player once he uh, when he killed himself? Then they found no, that no, it was no? the idiot. Oh yeah, really? Yeah, yeah. I didn't know that. I was listening to the idiot. Wow, that's that's weird. I did uh, on on the 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 Krautrock vibe. I I'm pretty sure I read today. I think it was this one that I was reading about that Stephen Morris bought a specific like electronic drum sound producer. I don't know if it was a drum machine or a drum trigger or what, because he saw it uh, in the liner notes of Tago Mago. <laughs> That's awesome. Mm-hmm. Man, imagine like just hanging out with Damo Suzuki and Ian Curtis and how uncomfortable that would be. Uh, yeah, be horrible. This uses a lot of weird stuff. Uh, AMS 1580s digital delays, Marshall time modulators, tape, echo, and bounce, uh, as well as bottle smashing, someone eating crisps, uh, backwards guitar, the sound of uh, the Strawberry Studios lift with a Leslie speaker whirling inside. I believe a toilet uh, sound of someone like knocking on a toilet. And of course uh, they had like a, the time modulator, they called it the time waster because it had, it was this like echoey effect, but I guess it took so long for to, for him to set it up and produce it that uh, people, you know, dubbed it the time waster. (laughs) Were echoplexes out at, at this point in 79? I'm sure. Uh, yeah, but I mean, maybe you just want something different. Yeah, that's true. Everybody, I mean, if what? you're trying to make a completely unique sound, maybe you gotta, you know, go for it. Yeah, what track we listen to here? I'm sorry. Um, New Dawn Fades. Yeah, I, I get a lot of passenger off of, uh, off of this. A lot of, uh, a lot of Iggy Pop meets uh uh roxy music i hear that mm-hmm. absolutely yeah. goth. so goth um, Gother yeah, than I mean, goth <laughs> but then after this one is she's lost control which like rob said is like one of the ones if you don't know joy division well you're still gonna hear and you know i always like got a vibe from that song where like you think you know what it's about because like it's it's pretty literal but also i didn't realize there was actually like a pretty solid backstory to it do you guys read about that i assume you did is not. it about is it about his seizures? It's no, it's about not about, about his seizures. It's about another woman's seizures. He used to work in like an employment office for the British government. And this woman would come in like l- looking for jobs, but every time she came in, she'd have a seizure. And that really freaked Ian Curtis out. Um, you know, but also like he was interested in her story and obviously mm-hmm. her about it. And then she stopped coming in and he thought it was because she found work, but it turns out she died from a seizure. So, like, I think that was this before he started suffering from epileptic seizures. I guess so because they didn't. Um, was it after? Because I think yeah. it, it wasn't until like it wasn't until Joy Division. Like, it was like late seventies when he, I think, started getting those symptoms. So I think he was already doing the Joy Division stuff when that started for him. Weird. Well, I mean, also I, I don't know when this story actually took place versus when he wrote the song. Yeah, I thought that's yeah. what scared him about it was the fact that he was also an epileptic. Because oh, really? um, oh. I know yeah. that they were supposed to tour the United States, and he was terrified about how Americans would react to seeing like a man on stage uh, having a seizure. Man, um, a lot of anxiety. Mm-hmm. The dude had a lot of anxiety. Um, I'm not trying to sound morbid. 
but that's the thing is like you know you can decide to be a goth and make goth music because you like the sound of it but like I, this comes from a real place and yeah you know a lot of what came after joy division lost sight of that some of it didn't a lot of it's very authentic but i think that you know like knowing how genuine this whole record is i think changes a lot about it or it doesn't change but it it, it lends a lot of uh clout to it you know yeah. it, it's a genuine article when it comes to golf music yeah up until this week yeah. uh, i had listened to exponentially more new order than joy division I was oh, like, yeah. Oof. I'm like fairly familiar with new orders catalog, but I don't know. There's only so many hours in the day and there's so much music out there. I, 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 don't, I guess I could only blame myself. I should have gotten to this album sooner. Joy division <laughs> in 1978 uh, borrowed the name joy division from sexual slavery wing of the Nazi concentration camp mentioned in the 1955 novel house of dolls did some, somebody tell you that Sean? I knew that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, they also <laughs> they also talked about um, accusations from neo Nazis uh, that they were sympathizers and that merely provoked the band to quote to keep on doing it because that's the kind of people we are. I think New Order. Has a similar problem. Oh, so, sorry. I was saying I think New Order had a similar problem because of the whole like New World Order thing and. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. We were talking about uh, suing the Banshees. Like, Stewie wearing a swastika on stage, and yeah, she uh, she did some stuff. She had some moves. <laughs> yeah, that was that's a little different. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I don't Is know. It? Uh, I mean, they're young men dressed in great overcoats with the uh, you know short hair and dark, clean cut young men and dark overcoats. lyrics. I don't think they were you know putting swastikas I mean, on. Unfortunately, everything. there is a lot of overlap with. Nazis and goth music. It's it's more pervasive than you'd like to think. I think. Hmm. No, um, like, it's you true. Know, Oi Rice and his cohort. Yeah. Yeah. Oi Oi music and mm-hmm. and that sort of uh, Nazi music. Yeah, it makes sense. I mean, it's very and the German influences from mm-hmm. you know yeah. those different things like craft work. Uh, it, it does make a certain amount of sense within. Yeah. And I mean, you think about like, you know, how long ago in the nation's history, um, in any nations in the world's history, World War II was then versus now. Right. Yeah. It's, you know, 40 years ago now was 1980 and 40 years before 1980 was 1940. It's just a different world. Yeah, absolutely. This album is about 40 years old. So, (laughs) Uh, I brought up with the, uh, the Susie stuff is the, uh, the national front was coming into like the, like coming into at least minority power in the UK when all of these kids were wearing the Nazi memorabilia to try to freak out their parents. And then actual Nazis started showing up to the shows mm-hmm. and then the fights would happen, you know, to, to the point where, you know, even across the fucking pond, the dead Kennedys had to write a fucking song. Nazi punks fuck off because like they just like integrated into like uh you know the the youth scene that was also you know a little bit like more violent and they they just they brought it so yeah you know they they 
freaking out your parents and then having Nazis show up. No one really expected that to be the case, but yeah. that's that's what happened. I mean, it's the same thing with the Summer of Love. Uh, no one expected Charles Manson to show up, but I think yeah. it, with any sort of revolutionary, uh, exciting movement like that, you're going to have uh, the anarchists. You're going to have the people who uh, are against established. When you have an anti-establishment cause you're going to have people on the fringes who want to exploit you know minorities and and blame other people and and sort of try to co-op a movement like that to their own means yep we're gonna be talking about this for at least the next year with these albums coming out so (laughs) it's gonna be great record took me it it picks up from like right about uh, she's lost control and then it continues being more of like a uh, like an earworm rocker uh, than the, uh, the songs before that and the songs before that aren't bad at all um, in fact they're very good obviously I, I don't want to <laughs> I don't want to be the guys like eh, Joy Division whatever um it's really good. Um, I just not being familiar with the material, listening to it with my 40 year old ears. Like it's almost like a band that I would be, I, I I'm more into the bands they inspired. Okay. You know, yeah. um, but it, it, it's, it's definitely like, it's, it's about as good a source material as you're going to get for starting a movement. Like this shit's really good. Like it's, it's very good. It's very good. If you're going to start a movement, you need to have a good design. And this album cover has an iconic design. Yes. Anyone want to talk about that at all? I thought for a second you were going to seek into talking about your um, uh, hot sauce. <laughs> I mean, I could. <laughs> we were taking into a commercial for and hot sauce is really good. Boy. Thank you very much. I make hot sauce. It's very good. People out there, spicy boy hot sauce. Find us. Anyway, the album cover of 1001. everyone that i don't know has ever been into a hot topic knows what this album cover looks like it's a stacked plot of radio emissions given out by yeah a a rotating neutron star but uh it was that image was taken by the uh i can't pronounce it what was it arecibo i don't know the, the pulsar thing i'm talking about the 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 telescope in costa rica that collapsed last week you're talking about the ending scene of Goldeneye. Uh, is it Arecibo Observatory? What's it? Uh, Arecibo? Arecibo Observatory? I don't know. Birch With left. Anna <laughs> yeah, I was hoping Birch would hop in and bail me out here. But it's yes, just, it's, abso- right. it's absolutely in Goldeneye. He's just gone now. <laughs> I know what you're talking about. Disappeared. That's so weird. It, for a while, I thought. Oh, I, I also thought. Birch! It, <laughs> 
Hey, hey, I thought that GoldenEye scene and the uh, Cable Guy scene were filmed in the same. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> no, but that I was doubt... in Chicago. Yeah. <laughs> so, Ben, we did like a Zoom meeting a while ago with your family, and uh, your sister Annie was wearing a Joy Division shirt. And she explicitly said, I don't know what this band is. No. But it was the cover. <laughs> no. Oh, in other regards, she's so cool. <laughs> yeah, she was just wearing this shirt. She's like, I don't know who these guys are. Uh, uh, the okay, image I'm, I'm was gonna... originally created by radio astronomer Harold Kraft at the Arecibo Observatory for his 1970 doctoral dissertation as a way of visu- visualizing smaller pulsars within larger ones. He did not realize that his image was used for this album cover for years. And when he mm-hmm. finally, uh, when someone finally hipped him to it, uh, of course he went out and bought one. Yeah. You know? <laughs> I thought that was amazing. He was he yeah. could just imagine like a grad student being like, what? Someone's used, used my image. And then <laughs> wait, listening to wait, this. <laughs> wait, all of the cool kids are wearing my image on their shirts. So I need to go out and get this album. <laughs> And also, like the other permutations of it, there's like a Disney one, and like there's one with like Texas stacked up. Like that image has been just recycled throughout time, constantly aped. Yeah, very, very, very iconic. Man, a a long time ago, or not a long time ago, maybe in like the last ten years, this artist Brendan Donnelly made a version where the album title was in Sanskrit, and it was like the coolest looking shirt I've ever seen. And I wish I'd bought it then. Carrie's got one of those. Oh, really? Damn. Yeah, yeah. At this point, it's like all worn out and full of holes, so it's even cooler. Oh, your wife is so awesome. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I did find it interesting that it's so iconic and that striking because they had they had mentioned that you know the production for this album turned them into Pink Floyd, and they were not happy about being Pink Floyd. But obviously, the cover when you look at that, you look at Dark Side of the Moon. Yep. Yeah, it's a minimal no, yeah. minimalism, uh, you know, very striking image that um, immediately resonates with a, a sort of a aesthetic of style. Stellar yeah. connotations. Yeah, they just fell ass backwards into like <laughs> an iconic album cover. Mm-hmm. Like, whoops. I mean, I feel like the whole thing was just so invented. That's crazy. Like they weren't aping anybody. It's it's just yeah. It's amazing how how original it all is. When I think that's not even what their goal was. Uh, the song I remember nothing. I was listening to it this week on, you know, bigger speakers, and I, I jumped because I was like, oh, did something break over? Because it comes out of the left speaker that that oh, that yeah. shattering, oh, and I was like, oh, the, the kitchen's over there, and I was like, what broke? What is it? like a plate <laughs> drop and then i realized like a half second later i was like oh right it's in this song oh it's you a, got punked by a joy division i album. did <laughs> martin hannett studio rascal i know he got me i uh i, I got a bit of a, a jim morrison vibe from his vocals yeah a lot of people but, uh, criticize him yeah. for his jim morrison like persona of vocalizations they said it was bland and that it was uninteresting, unlike Jim Morrison. They like Jim Morrison better, I guess. <laughs> I'll I listen to more. Joy Division before I'd listen to The Doors any day of the week for the rest of my life. Was that Rolling Stone, Birch? Yeah. <laughs> of course it was. <laughs> okay. Yeah. yeah. 
we're in a time period where Rolling Stone is going to get it wrong over and over and over and yeah, over yeah. as these old fucking hippies just can't get on board. When I was young, I knew what was with it. And then I got older. Now what I'm with isn't it anymore. Yep. I had an onion on my belt. Uh, the NME uh, journalist Paul Rumbla, uh, he wrote, uh, I thought it was really cool, coldness, pressure, darkness, crisis, failure, collapse, and loss of control are the themes of, of um, Joy Division. They're sorrowful, painful, and sometimes deeply sad. It's true. It's sad music that you can dance to. <laughs> I mm-hmm. think that is also one of the things that Joy Division kind of brought to the spectrum. Susie and the Banshees absolutely did too. Once you get to the cure, though, it's a. Uh, I mean, I know Friday and I'm, I'm in love, and they have some peppy songs, but it's a different vibe. They're, it's not. It's more of a pop thing than a dancing thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. Joy Division yeah. has a dark, dro- uh, droning dance, mm-hmm. a dirge, if you will. Yeah, it's, it's harder to lose yourself in a cure song. Yeah. 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 Uh, do I need to go around? Is everybody on the positive on Joy Division? Uh, yeah. 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 Yes, I am. Okay. I'm, I'm here. I'm here. Okay. I, did, I didn't know. All right. Next time we'll be talking about Chic Risque. All right. Thanks, y'all. <laughs>